This is Tom Darling, your host for Conversations with Classic Boats. This episode, we go down south, down to the shore, the Jersey Shore, where watermen have plied Barnegat Bay since the European invasion of the 16th century. It was 1614 when Adrian Block, on his way back from naming Block Island, happened upon the bay. It was 1973 when I discovered the bay. These next two episodes take me back to our old college days, where having been hired sight unseen by a senior college alumnus, I took on the reins of the junior sailing program of what I discovered to be one of the most hallowed sailing communities in the country. That place is Mantaloking. The native name means sand place or frog ground. The Lenape and today's locals are a little vague on this. Mantaloking, Matitakonk, Manasquan. Those first native names were my turf, along with Bayhead, Lavalette, Seaside Heights, Tom's River. I had students with famous last names like Van Dyne and Chance and Coley and Cox, the progeny of sailing families that stretched men and women alike back into the late 19th century. And the subject of these next two episodes is an all-star cast of the boats that I fell in love with, the E-boat, or Iskow, Queen of the Lakes and the Bay, flat, narrow, and wicked fast. The A-cat, a turbocharged throwback to the days of the sandbagger. The sneak box, a sportsman's gun emplacement turned into the local family catboat hot rod. And last but not least, the duck boat, a junior trainer for the ages, and the only local boat that we know that has a periodic world championship. We're honored to have Gary Jobson, the pride of Beechwood Yacht Club, as one of our guides on the bay. He needs no introduction. I don't have enough space to describe Mr. Sailing. But let it be recorded that as it is on page one of the book Chasing Roosters, A Century of Sailing on Barnegat Bay, that when asked which award in sailing meant the most to him, it was not being an all-American collegian, nor tactician on Courageous, with terrible Ted Turner on the helm, or being a TV commentator on the America's Cup. Gary said it was the BBYRA championship flag for the Penguin class he won in 1967. Enough said. And to compliment Gary, in episode one, we introduce a local Barnegat Bay wizard, teacher, coach, godfather of the ACAT fleet. We'll hear a lot from him. He is Roy Wilkins. We talked to Gary and Roy on the Pandemic Channel, Zoom, of course, with Roy in his house in Chester, Vermont, and Gary in his Annapolis office. But first, let's turn, as we always do, to our conversations with Classic Boats partners. Windcheck Media, covering from New York to the Cape, with Windcheck Magazine, which is carrying in our year-end issue our article on Harrisoff Hickman Hunt, A Hundred Years of the American Runabout. We are starting to plot with Ben Cesar to take another crack in August 2022 to bring our audience the 50th Opera House Cup in Nantucket. 
hurricanes permitting. Over at Team One Newport, Mad Martha is rehearsing her year-end pitches. We can't wait to see those YouTubes. Watch your mail for Martha Parker's email blasts with notice of our podcasts for conversations with classic boats. Remember, holidays are here. Buy early, buy often. And we are pleased to announce that down in Annapolis, Spin Sheet's companion publication, Prop Talk, has a classic boat page in the December issue. It's from our Harrisoff Hickman Hunt 100 Years of the American Runabout. Yes, power can be classic. Look for us to bring out some new customized products with the Spin Sheep team. And I am compelled to plug the terrific publication that guided me in these next episodes on Barnegat Bay. It is entitled Chasing Roosters, A Century of Sailing on Barnegat Bay, published in 2014 by Nomad Press, a collaboration of Gary Jobson, Lara Walsh, and Dan Crabb. 200 pages of pictures and data, and most important, stories about the bay. You can get a copy through Lara from her office in Normandy Beach, New Jersey. It's Lara, L-A-R-A, at Walsh, W-A-L-S-H, L-L-C, dot com. A great Christmas gift. Now to the bay. Where else do they call a body of water the bay? Well, they actually do call it directly south in the Chesapeake Bay. But for me, Barnegat Bay is the bay. I first went there to Manaloking in June of 1973. I still refer to it as the place of much wind and no water. Great breeze, but very, very shallow. See how all 14 yacht clubs in the bay spread like a capital L, the upright running south from Manasquan Canal to Seaside Park, the base taking the line east to west from Ocean Gate up the Toms River. Peter Taylor tells us the story of the bay and how it became the sailing hotspot it remains today. Barnegat Bay is mostly hidden from view of mariners sailing along New Jersey's long, sandy coastline. But behind the sand dunes and countless rows of houses and cottages, a wonderful body of water connects many small towns and 14 yacht clubs. The first race hosted by the Barnegat Bay Yacht Racing Association took place on July 4, 1914. Since then, many thousands of sailors have enjoyed racing in a variety of one-design classes, and worked hard to win sailing championships on Barnegat Bay and a coveted rooster flag. In our gallery, see the rooster flag given in each class to the winner of the season's last race. History tells us that like so many great places in America, the bay was an accidental discovery, this one attributable to Henry Hudson. While sailing along the Jersey shore in 1609, Hudson found a treacherous inlet he named Barnegat, the Dutch word for breaking, swirling water. He didn't dare enter. From there, he went north to discover and name the Hudson River, sailing as far north as Albany before returning to Europe. He had been searching for the Northwest Passage to, to India. No such luck. Back he sailed to Europe, his only accomplishment being claiming Manhattan for the Dutch, who bought it from the indigenous people but couldn't hang on to it past the late 17th century. Five years later, two of Henry Hudson's crew, Adrian Block and Cornelius Hendrickson, 
came back to the scene of Hudson's discovery of 1609. Found an island, now Storm Trisel Club's Block Island, and continued west to the site of modern Manhattan. Unfortunately, their boat, named Tiger, burned up from a stove fire. The duo had to build a new boat, which they called Onrust, or Restless in Dutch. It was one of the first, if not the first, boats built in North America. According to local historian Bob O'Brien's account, they sailed south and reached Barnegat Inlet in September 1614. In they went and started exploring, starting with Goose Creek, now the Toms River, the Matitikonk, then around the corner, north to Bayhead. The land they claimed became part of the colony of New Amsterdam. A few trinkets traded with the local tribes. They sailed empty-handed again back to Holland. See, as always, in the gallery, maps and photos that show us what the bay looks like. And thanks, Peter, for that history. My own discovery of the bay and today's participants was far less dramatic. I drove into Mandaloking in June 1973 in a 1969 Pontiac Le Mans with a brand new orange laser for which I had traded a wooden thistle, number 974, with one Oyster Bay native, namely Jim Miller. I had been encouraged to apply for a job at a place that I had never seen, even in photos, called Manaloking. The only person I knew from the Bay was Gary Jepson. And how did I know Gary Jepson? So, in college sailing, although we really intersected very little, he did, when he saw me, always address me as Princeton. How are you doing, Princeton? I was afraid to tell him what my name was. I didn't think Princeton Darling seemed too appropriate. It was laser sailing in 1973 and 74 on the bay that he may have learned my name. With my orange laser, number 1942, Bet Noir, maybe he connected the result sheets, orange and black, Princeton, who knows? But at some point, I became Tom Darling, who goes to Princeton. It worked for me at the time. From there, over the two summers, we sailed with some of the same skippers, Sam Merrick, who could not hear, Ronnie Coley, who could not swim, in a boat that I fell in love with, the Eastgow, a boat which both Ronnie and Sam were the grandmasters of, along with Cliff Campbell and rising stars that I knew from college, like Willie DeCamp. Willie, today, is the most ardent conservationist in the Bay. But before we talk about the E, let's go back to the beginning of the Bay alphabet, a, with the A-cat, 28 feet of muscled catboat, 48-foot mast, 28-foot boom, 600 square feet plus of main, requiring two trimmers, with a main sheet more than 100 feet long. I feel again that I must plug another bay book, A-cats, A Century of Tradition, again authored by Gary, published in 2006, the boat showcases stories from the past and present of these magnificent large catboats that have competed since the 1920s. Alas, there was no copy left of the book in Amazon. So my history came to me as oral history, 
from the Wizard of Island Heights, Roy Wilkins, godfather of the modern A-Cat, skipper of the A-Cat spy. Again, see in the gallery some terrific pictures of the A-Cat over history. And I was privileged to have Gary and Roy on the same broadcast. When I brought them together, it demonstrated the magic of live broadcast. I couldn't bear to edit it, but I had to, a little. I let the podcast roll, and you enjoy what you hear. Roy Wilkins and Gary Jobson on ACATS, ESCOWS, and Barnegat Bay. I always introduce Gary as Mr. Sailing, or as my father says, the only guy he knows who's made a good living off sailing, emphasis good living, which Gary always likes. Gary was definitely the first to do that. Right. He was definitely a pioneer in that regard. But I thought we'd cover uh, ACATS first, go in a uh, sort of chronological order, and then move up to ESCOWS and take about 35 minutes. Uh, I, I will yeah. sort of give the signal a little bit when we need to move on. But uh, Roy, your, your, your bio looks like member of the Island Heights Yacht Club. That seems to be the most important thing. Anybody who has IH Spy as their handle, that obviously says <laughs> something. Uh, and you're the author of the ACATS book, A Center of, uh, Century of Tradition. Yeah. Uh, and I will tell you that I have stood on an ACAT, but that's about it. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm all ears in terms of, uh, of what you talk about in terms of that boat. And then we'll turn over to Gary and you guys can talk about East Council a little bit. All right. Sure. So Roy, t- tell me, how, how did the ACAT come into your life? Well, I was uh, a member of Island Heights Yacht Club in 1955. But I didn't start, I wasn't involved with the BBYRA, I guess until I was like 11. And I saw these, there were only three of them at the time, but these majestic boats. But I was sailing a Diamond Duck at the time, which is a, a duck boat, just a little bit larger. And, uh, but I, you know, I had no desire to, to get involved with the ACATs. And then my life moved on and I stopped sailing when I was 14. I was heavily involved with soccer and that became my career. Uh, I went on to be a college soccer coach, but I always found time on weekends to sail. But my job uh, in the Thomas River School System was an adaptive phys ed teacher. So I would deal with all the students that could not participate in a gym class. So working with the disabled my entire life, the opportunity came to purchase an ACAT. And I uh, have a good friend named Charlie Cox. And Charlie, uh, there was another group in Island Heights that bought the bat and they were all young kids. Mm-hmm. And Nelson Hartranf had sort of owned all the ACATs at the time. So Spy became available. Charlie and I decided to buy it. Uh, we bought it for $3,000, and I thought it would be a wonderful platform to take my disabled sailors out. And actually, as it turns out, I could pick up a wheelchair and put it right in the cockpit. Wow. So it was, um, and I had a young family at the time, and I didn't, the racing aspect of ACATS was not a priority with me. It was more going out, introducing people to sailing and having a good time on Friday nights sailing up down the river. Oh, by the way, we'll sail on Saturday. And in the, uh, we bought it in 78 in the early going, whoever bought a new sail was going to win the bay. Uh, 
So the competition aspect wasn't there, but the fun aspect was high. Mm-hmm. And that book got sailed a lot. And we just had a great time. Mm-hmm. It was wonderful. And so you go from 78 and we stopped sailing in 14, 2014. Okay. Now, were these boats built locally? They were locally built boats? They all were built locally. Mm-hmm. And, and they were, uh, the first boat to be built was the Marianne. And it was built up in Bayhead and it was built in 1922. So we're going to be having the 100th anniversary party cool. for Marianne this year at Bayhead Yacht Club. Wow. And Bob and Tay Adams, uh, who are great dinghy sailors, um, Princeton in the party. Gary? Good. So, Gary, you know about that, this party coming up. I do now. Thanks. <laughs> now, there's, the invitations haven't been sent out, but it was, I asked Bob, you know, Bob is pushing... 86. And I said, Bob, why don't, you, why don't you sell, why don't you sell the, uh, the Marianne? He goes, no, I'm going to keep it for the hundredth anniversary. So he plans on campaigning her. Bob still sails a, a Marshall B-cat. So. Okay. Yeah. What, what I, I see that it has a 50 foot mast. I, I, I was kind of looking uh, for this. Uh, yes. Very close. 48 feet. What, yep. what are the specs? And you know, the, the key Real specs. simple. The, 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 the hull is 28 feet. And the fun part about this, the 48-foot mast, but the fun part is the boom is 28 feet. Mm. Not too many boats can say that. And around 630 square feet of sail. And obviously, in the old days, they were all cotton. Mm -hmm. And all the yacht clubs uh, had upstairs, and they were meant to dry the cotton sails. So when the ACAT sails would come in, (laughs) they would take up the whole the whole upstairs in most of the yacht clubs, but um, so that, you just said 600 square feet plus over 600. I think 630. Yeah. So it's got the same size of rig as a J105. That's yeah, about what a no J105 is. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, they go very well upwind. Mm-hmm. They surprised a lot of people. They were really very, very fast boats in their day. Mm-hmm. Very fast, but obviously downwind, they have a hull speed and that's it. Sure. And how much do they weigh? Well, that was a that was a thing of controversy as the new ACATs were being built. The um, they were various weights, so we have um, they all now weigh forty eight hundred pounds. So they're pretty light. Oh yeah, no, they were (laughs) the the ACATs were built for speed. They um, all the other all the other cat boats. I see I'm getting washed out by the sun. I'll move a little bit here. The I see the ACATs, um, the Marianne, I believe, rumor has it, that it was built in 1922 to win the Tom's River Challenge Cup. And so it was to race against all other cat boats. So when Charles Maurer had it built, you know, he said, make it, make it as fast as possible. And sure. uh, so they built it with, it had, it had oak, very thin oak ribs, on cedar planks, yep. Uh, the shears, you know, and, and they were all mahogany. And the centerboard trunk was oak, and the decks were um, cedar with canvas on the top. Okay. Now, how and, do you get a forty-eight foot piece of wood today? Well, it, even in those days, uh, they would it would be in two sections. Uh, today, it's all done in. Uh, 
in eighths. So they, they spline them all together and okay. they have short pieces that are all glued together with new technology and the new glues. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, there's been quite a few ACAP masks built. Uh, Tommy Beaton up at Beaton Boat Yards built some. And then okay. also uh, George Shulden uh, was was involved with building the, the masks for all the uh, the boats in the lower part. I have, I've had the opportunity since I've owned an ACATS for so long, I've broken three masks ooh, ooh. and they were all one, two were failures of fittings. And one was a, I guess I, I'll be careful how I say this. It was a, a, the ladies world championship. <laughs> and there was um in between races, one of the boats was sailing by to congratulate Spy for winning, which my wife was sailing, and my daughter. And her, she came by, and they don't realize, you know, 28-foot boom. And the end of her boom caught the forestay Snag Spy. Wow. And it just pulled it, you know, and it just topped the top, toppled over. My daughter, who had been standing on the bow, uh, just, you know, almost took it to the head so that then that was that was that was broken then i had um some fittings fail okay. obviously with a sail that big there's a lot of load on these boats and um gary what was the first time you saw one of these animals oh i i uh got to know a cats as a young man in barnegat bay sailing my penguin or crewing on e-scows and these wonderful boats. There were four at the time, the Baptist Spy, the Lotus, and the Marianne. I didn't get to sail on them much, but I do remember sailing on them a couple times in bay races, including one time where we broke the mast. The backstay <laughs> didn't get up in time somehow, and the mast went flying over the bow on a jive, and that was the end of that day. I, that was the bat that that happened to. But they've always held a mystique, and it's kind of a miracle that these boats have been revised. Roy was a big part of that. Peter Kellogg's another one that was a part of it and, uh, to bring these boats back to life. And they were to be built in the same mode that they were originally built. So you couldn't speed it up somehow uh, with the, any modern techniques. And that made the fleet pretty competitive. And if you look at the results over the years, it's amazing how season after season, different boats win for that season or win individual races. So I find the competition in recent years to be good. And of course, Roy is one of the more enthusiastic people in the water. When you're out there racing against him, God help you. If you try to cross him on port, don't even think it. He wouldn't give you any room at all. But uh, speaking of crossing on port, how many people does it take to trim the sail? Okay. That's that's pretty simple. The uh, in the old days, there was one. Wow. Okay, but we have upped our game to where we have two. Mm -hmm. We have a double-ended main sheet. Okay. And so when you have to pull in 130 feet of main sheet as you go around the leeward mark, <laughs> we have two people trimming. And so Gary, speaking of crossing on port, this is a current story. Oh. I don't think you know. So we sailed for the Tom's River Challenge Cup in the Bay for 150 years. I just 
Think about that number, Gary. Six years after the Civil War, they're racing for this trophy. And that's a whole nother story. But anyhow, so what at the end of that race at Tom's River Yacht Club, Gary Stewart of Spy challenged to race for it again, which in a deed you're allowed to do. So that was sort of a setup so Tom Server could have its own day of the Tom Server Challenge Cup. So we're, there was a second race, and your name goes on the trophy if you win. So what happened with the second race, we brought in the rock stars from Tom Server Yacht Club wanted to sail a boat. And so they sailed Raven, and that was Alan Trahune Jr. Oh, my goodness. And, and Willie Demand. All right, two, well, Alan's a professional, and Will wins everything. So they were determined to win this trophy for a Tom's River Yacht Club. And it was uh, it was a Sunday race, Gary, and it was just one race. And, and, this, and, and, and Gary Stewart on Spy is standing in their way. No. Actually, that, that's close. But what happened was we had a short weather leg. We were sailing in the southeast. So we sailed from in front of Tom's River Yacht Club to sort of Pine Beach Yacht Club. So it's a short weather beat. So all the boats were going to come into market at the same time. So what happened is the, the pros come in screaming on Port Tack. And one of my former OCC sailors, a guy named Brendan Hogan, is now sailing Tamwalk for Buzzy Reynolds. And they come, you know, he's screaming, I'm on starboard. And they come flying in, and there was a T-bone. Mm. Full-blown A-cat right mm. into the side of a port tech boat. Wow. So the pros got a little too aggressive. Wow. And they, ha- they had a withdrawal. Jeez. And so that was the last port starboard. As you, as and what was the bill? What was the boatyard bill for that? There was an insurance claim. Okay. Do we know what but it I was? Would say, I would say it was minimum $10,000. Oh. oh, no, no. They, he took out everything. Wow. Okay. He took out he took out three planks, rub rail, deck, combing. Minimum ten thousand. Yeah, yeah right. that sounds low to me. It, it was well, maybe it was more. But we I, crashed I, an Alarion in Nantucket with coal molding. It costs a lot more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Gary knows what they look like. So that that's the latest ACAT crash. Wow. That's good. So I, I never did that, Gary. So if we look at the I schedule, was noisy, but I never crashed into anybody. Do the Correct. ACATs do the ACATs sail every Saturday? BBYRA yes. normal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a ten. There's a ten week series, and there's five, and then there's a break, and then there's another five. Each yacht club hosts it. Okay. And then we have some specialty races like the Middleton Cup, which has been sailed for I think since 1925. Seaside hosts that. Yep. And then we we have the, the Morgan Cup, which has been, I think, 1908. Okay. Island Heights hosts that. Yeah. But what happened is the, um, the enthusiasm for racing, that many races has gone away. So we've combined a day to sail for two cups. Okay. Okay. And so you're an after, I always remember, I was the sailing master at Mandaloki. Uh, knew nothing about Barnegat Bay, had never set foot there at all. Only went to school in New Jersey. But um, I would sail in the morning. Sometimes I think I'd sail against Gary in the laser, not probably very successfully. And then in the afternoon, we would sail e-scouts. So are you, an, is ACAT an afternoon boat in that yes. sense? Okay. Yes. 
Right. You go and first. And what happened was, since since uh, this is great that I did, you've done that. So now that the fleet has expanded to over ten, and it, it varies up and down now, but it could be as large as thirteen. Uh, but a lot of the boats aren't being sailed, and that's a whole other story. But the Escals were whining that the ACATs were sucking up all the air because mm-hmm. we're all on the same course. Yes. And so the Escals are now sailing on the opposite part of the bay. So if we're sailing the Wanamaker course, they're okay. sailing up bay. You're sailing Green Island, they're sailing something else. Correct. Okay. Correct. They are d- totally. And yeah, there were people whining about that. I said, but for, for a safety factor, the way the East Gals now are, yep. they're so fast and their visibility is not low. that great. Low. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So right. Well, that that's that's a great uh that's a great segue. I, I I will tell you that I did look on Amazon Roy, and there is one copy left on Amazon of the book. <laughs> well, I can get you, I can get you. We have 30, plenty dollars and forty cents. But so I, already, they, I I I I, may, I didn't order it yet. So okay. Uh, well, but to give you a little history, I'll give you a history about that. Yeah. Um, Peter Kellogg comes up to me, and Roy, don't you think we should do a book on ACATs? Me, adaptive phys ed teacher. Right. Okay. First phone call is to Gary. It's <laughs> Gary. We we have to do this. So then Peter starts talking to Gary. And we met at um, at New York Yacht Club. Okay. And we sat down and get Gary presented what he's going to do. And Peter says, fine, let's do it. And all the proceeds from that book went to my intercollegiate sailing program oh, at the college. Okay. So it was great. It was a lot of fun doing it. It was a great launch party. I'll tell you that. I can imagine. <laughs> it was a good one. And, uh, and Gary and I were signing autographs. You know, we're doing all the books. Cool. And, you know, I guess you know how competitive Gary is. And he was. I have, had, I have experienced it. This is we true. had we had this is a funny story. Gary told me this story. We were signing. I was at a table. Gary's at a table and we had students feeding us books. So all we had to do is sign mm-hmm. and then they'd stack up the books, you know, and Gary looked over and saw that I was signing faster than he was. <laughs> so he stepped up his game. And tried to cut. I just laughed. I said, "That's so Gary." <laughs> uh, you know, you start signing with both hands. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, let's segue over to the East Gals since we've we've uh, I've I've learned that the East Gals and the A cats can no longer coexist. They're like ranchers, cattle, and sheep herders, right? Sounds right. Like. Gary, you're writing uh, a book on East Gals, right? I, I am. I mean, the East Gal is an iconic class. It's coming up to its hundredth anniversary in 2023. There's still about 450 of these racing around the country. I believe there's a little over 40 yacht clubs that host these regattas in a given year. And when the East Gal was introduced by Slade Dale and others back in the early 1920s, it's been a, you know, a, a staple of the Bay's uh, repertoire all these times. It's a great class. It's very competitive. And I wonder why has the e-scow lasted so long? And there's a great story behind it. So the people that sailed the scows in the 50s and early 60s took a good hard look at this class. Sam Merrick and Ronnie Coley were part of it, Barnica Bay sailors, Mike Meyer, 
from Minnetonka was part of it. Nat Robbins from Minnetonka was part of it. Buddy Melgas from Lake Geneva was part of it. And they worked out a scenario that if you had an idea on how to make the boat go faster, you could apply to the class and get dispensation to race with your new idea. With the proviso that at the end of the experiment, at the end of the summer season, you had to file a report. And if it worked, you could apply to the class to institute it as part of the class structure. And if it didn't work, it would fade away. So it was a pretty robust structure to allow these things to happen. But they did. And every time they did this and approved it, it made the boats go faster, easier to sail, and it's kept the boat relevant all these days. So if you were to sail an e-scout from 1923 with a gaff rig and kind of a heavy rig and a leaky wooden boat, compared with the speedsters that are sailing a day, you wouldn't be able to recognize them. But all these things have evolved. They've changed the rudder. They've changed the uh, centerboards. They've changed the rig, uh, going from a rotating mast to a fixed mast. They went to an asymmetrical spinnaker. They came up with a really nifty boom bang. And the boats keep evolving. Who brought and the turbo in? How did that come? How did that develop? The turbo? You mean to yeah. make the, well. The asymmetrical with the, with the sprit. Yeah, it was very controversial going to the asymmetrical spinnaker. The traditionalists hated the idea. Well, you can't change the class. You know, we got to have people in the bow. But then they did some experimenting, like I said, tried it out. And uh, two things happened with the asymmetrical spinnaker. A, the boat went faster. And B, it was a lot easier and safer hmm. to jive the sail. Yep. So there was some reluctance to make the change. But I think I know today that. everybody you embraces it. I have both it. been bowman for a guy named Sam Merrick. So, right? Yeah. We know what oh, it's yeah, I, I was on the bow and trimming jib and trimming main. I, I was all over the boat. But, it, but they make the boats go faster. And the A-scow, which is the big brother, 38-foot long scow, I mean, it, trimming a mainsail on an A-cat's a big deal. Mm. The people that do it look like they're middle linebackers for the New York Giants. And, uh, and it's the same on the A-scow. If you want to trim that asymmetrical spinnaker, it is a – tough, tough deal to be able to do. But like I said, the boats go faster. There's a lot of finesse to it. And another key to the e-scout class is it's a great family boat. You see lots of parents and their kids sailing it. And that really carries a lot of water because everybody's engaged and everybody's involved. And we've often, we often see young people. I mean, Harry, young Harry Melgas, the fourth, it won both nationals. There was two because they made up uh, for the COVID year. So I, I went to that event in June in Little Lake Harbor. And then they had a second one in September out in Torch Lake. And uh, young Melgus won both of them. Oof. So he's setting a high standard uh, in these boats. Right. Well, you know, when you sail it, my, my East Cow experience was with two individuals. One, Ronnie Coley. Okay whose your major job was if you fell overboard, you had to go get him because he couldn't <laughs> swim. Okay. <laughs> and then my final experience was MA2, the great Sam Merrick. Yeah. I determined was really deaf in one ear. And when you went to the wing mark, you were always in terror because 
no matter what you said to him, he would he didn't hear what you said. So if you said there's a guy inside for Sam, he didn't understand anything what you said. So <laughs> well, only in one tack. He, he's okay on the other tack. He's okay on the other tack. Fourth tack, you're fine. No problem. You know, there's a there's a great story that I wanted to share with you on this broadcast about how interconnected our sport is. So in the late 1800s, the uh, there was a regatta in uh, Oyster Bay, New York, the Suwanica International Cup for small yachts. It had its long name. And people kept coming up with the boats. And there was a boat builder from Bristol, Rhode Island, with the name Nathaniel Green Harrisoff. <laughs> and he had just defended the America's Cup four times uh, in his boats and his designs. He would design them. He'd build them. Generally, he'd make the sails. He sailed on them. He would be the helmsman until Charlie Barr came along and Nat Harris. So I said, I think you let him steer. He's, he's faster than me. And, um, but he got tired of it. And in 1901, his new boat, Constitution, was not selected. An older boat, Columbia, that won in 1899 was selected, funded by J.P. Morgan and a Vanderbilt and others. And uh, Harrisoff was upset. And he said, I'm done. I'm retired. No more America's Cup for me. Then this guy, Sir Thomas Lipton, challenged for a third time. And the New York Yacht Club was getting annoyed by this guy. And Harrisoff, you know, kind of shrugged his shoulders. But he went down to the Suwanica Corinthian uh, International Challenge Cup for small boats and, uh, and saw this really cool boat from uh, White Bear Lake, Minnesota. It was a scow. It was a 51-foot scow. Just wow. comprehend that for a minute. Wow, wow, wow. And when he saw that, he went to the manager of the cup campaign, a guy named uh, Oliver Islin, and said, you know what? I could come out of retirement if you guys let me build this boat that I have a, a vision for, and it will be so fast that Sir Thomas Lipton will never challenge again. That was music to the ears of the New York Yacht Club because they were getting tired of funding this thing against Thomas Lipton, who of course was enjoying it because he's selling his tape. And that's how the yacht Reliance came along. It was a scow hull. It basically had a fin, a fin keel. And uh, it was so fast in the final trials, they sailed exactly one race and the others went, huh, we're done. <laughs> you, you go defend the cup. That's a good and uh, it, it demolished uh, Shamrock three in the cup. And, and Lipton didn't come back. We didn't see him back from 1903 to 1920. Of course, World War I had a little bit to do with it. But it's so interesting to me that the scow concept influenced the America's Cup. And there's a lot of talk about how the America's Cup always has innovations trickle down to the rest of the sport. But Harrishoff used that concept to trickle up to the cup. Yeah. Well, you too represent the two trends. If you go back and listen to my piece on six meters, Suwanika rule is a scow rule. Okay. Yep. International rule was an international rule. The scows at Suwanika in Oyster Bay pushed out the sandbaggers. Okay. If you look to me, when I look at an ACAT, it looks like a sandbagger to me. So it doesn't have sandbags in it. So isn't that interesting to see? The yeah, that, that sandbaggers, boy, that was rough and tumble sailing. Yep. Those guys were tough. And Charles Inz, uh, Oliver Islin, the guy I talked about, he came up through the sandbaggers, and he was a pretty tough guy. 
I mean, he owned two America's Cup boats and managed four others, and they won all six times. Yep. And a lot of people never heard of Ollie Island before, but uh, he, he's quite a good story in himself. Well, his old compound, with- his old compound, is, which is torn down, was in New Rochelle. Okay. Right, by, by my, Larchmont there. Where my grandfather grew up. And can't see it anymore. It's just a pile of rocks. But he literally had a marina there where he kept those boats. Think, think of the team he put together for the uh, 1899 defense. This is uh, Lipton's first defense. He gets J.P. Morgan to pay for it. He hires Nathaniel Green Harrishoff to design and build the boat. And he recruits Charlie Barr to be a helmsman. And I kind of wish these guys were around today because they would help us get the cup back. They were tough right. people. Right. What's so up? Speak, uh, speaking of e-scouts, I have a question for, for Gary. Um, were you ever the mystery guest? Yes. So I've been a mystery guest three times. Have you really? Yeah. So what Roy's talking about is the Pewaukee Yacht Club in uh, the, around 1965 created a regatta called the Blue Chip Regatta. And if you were in the top three in the East and the top five of the Inlands and the top six or something in Nationals, uh, you got invited to the Blue Chip. And then they would invite one mystery guest each year and you had to sail around. Your sail number was a question mark. <laughs> and nobody ever knew who the mystery guests and, oh, the you know, the greats of sailing and Paul Kayard has done it and Dennis Connor has done it. And, uh, and I've been invited a few times over the years and it's great fun. And of course, they make it tough on you, tough on the water, and then they keep you out late at night and you're expected to go to all these parties and everything and <laughs> makes it even harder to sail. But they, I mean, they've had Russell Coots as a mystery guest and Jimmy Spithill has been a mystery guest. And Dennis Connor is one of the few that actually won it. He got clobbered one year, demanded to come back. And he had Buddy Melga's crew for him when he <laughs> when he returned. So I'm not sure it's exactly copacetic, uh, but anyway, yes, I have been a mystery guest, and it's great fun, and it's uh, one of the cool things I've done in sailing. Yeah. Well, I think that the the Eastgow Nationals for me were some of the most fun racing I ever did. I'll never forget fit sailing in Crystal Lake, Michigan, which is about 200 feet deep. You could drop a, a nickel on the bottom and read it. Uh-huh. And it was Billy Allen sailing against his old, you know, captain, Buddy Melchus, right? And they were duking it out for, for three days. And the funniest thing I ever saw in my life was Buddy Melchus losing his hat in the first race, coming back, winning the race. Losing <laughs> his daughter over the side, coming back, winning the race. He was blowing about 25 most of the time. And he would get up to the weather mark and he would just downwind sail right through everybody and finish, win the race. Awesome. That's still the MO with uh, East Cows. If you're yeah. a good downwind sailor, yeah, you're going to win. Right. A cats are a little different. Right. Right. <laughs> or upwind. Right. <laughs> now we normally do our. Actually, we do most of our passing downwind. Is that right? Yeah, the hull speeds are are pretty much the same. Or you know, upwind you like a guy like Buzzy Reynolds will go out and hit a corner and he'll come right. in. But the, you know, it's it's like all sailing. It's the start. And there's so much exhaust coming off that sail. Yeah. If you can get out and get a, cl- a clear lane, you're going to do well. But downwind, Barnica Bay is pretty tricky. Now, how many East Coast sail a BBYRA afternoon now? Does anybody know? Do we know? Yep. I think, uh, it's about, I, I, I think 15 or 18. Yeah, I was going to say 14, 15. Okay, yeah. so it's, it really hasn't changed that much. Yeah. I can remember yeah. sometimes 20 boats, but that was pretty much it. 
Yeah. It, I mean, it, it, it's it's a big thing to campaign in Eastcow. You're three or four crew. There, you know, it's a 28 foot boat, and you need to have new sails pretty much every year, and you got to pay attention. So it's not a lightweight boat, right? Uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a great boat, and it takes a lot to sail the A Cat as well. Right. And uh, you know, Barnegat Bay is such a great place. I mm. As you know, I grew up there. I occasionally they dust me off, and I get to go sail on an ACAT every few years. But it's got a great culture. You got thirteen yacht clubs, plus as Roy tells you, the Ocean County College, which has got a sailing team. And you rotate week to week, going from one yacht club to the next. And tradition is really important. And generations come along, and you look at the results of uh, a summer, and you go, "Oh my goodness." Those are the grandkids of people I raced against. And then the people I raced against are the grandkids of people that raced before. You know, it's really, yeah. it's really, and, and each of these clubs has their own very distinct personality. You know, it's, it's almost tribal. Yeah. Uh, I, I, also, I mean, I came from the North part of the Bay from Mantaloking, which I called the land of much wind and no water. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I would take the, my kids on the little, motorboat down to Tom's river and you'd think we were going to Spain. Yeah. yeah well, the Manalooking Yacht Club, in my view, is the epitome of what a yacht club should be. You know, they don't have uh, bar service, you know, they just put stuff out when they have parties, but they really focus on sailing and junior sailing and uh, encourage people to be out there. And it's a wonderful facility. They do have a lot of tennis that goes on there. Mm-hmm. They had in Manalooking. But like I said, all these clubs have different personality. And if you look at the years, every club has its share of champions. And uh, I mean, one of the great things in Barnegat Bay is to win the championship. And it's a blue flag with an image of Barnegat Lighthouse on it. And if you win the last race of the summer, you get a smaller flag with a uh, rooster on it. I stay. I'm not going far. Go get it. I get it. We only got four more minutes, so you got to move. He's going to get his book, Chasing Roosters. So I, uh, the book's coming to you me. You have that. Yeah. yeah. I sailed lasers. And uh, so. If I got you a flag. To, I got a flag. I won a race once. You in the did win. If you, you know why? Side, I was from Long Island Sound originally. I could sail in light air. They can't sail in light air at all. I won one race in light air. I beat Red. There you go. Huh? There we go. Oh, whoa, whoa. Nice. Look at that. That's the rooster. Now, now let, me, let me show you something really cool. Roy will appreciate this for a couple of reasons. Nice. Ooh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So that, that was, uh, I, I sailed that. And there's actually an important regatta. It's called the Morgan Cup, uh, which is one of the trophies that's been around quite a long time. And we won that. And I don't know, somebody cool. sent me the, I think Henry Coley or somebody uh-huh. uh, teamed up with Buzzy Reynolds and had Brick and sent me that. Sure. But I, but I, uh, this is, you know, there's courageous over my shoulder and mm-hmm. that chair is a trophy from the America's cup yep. of uh, the wall. The there's America's cup hall of fame and the national sailing hall of fame. But when people ask me, what's your most prized possession? There, there it is. I have three <laughs> of these. <She> does. <laughs> so you, you have to win the last race of the season or, yep. and you get a rooster flag. Yeah, yeah that's cool. As I, I said to Roy while you were walking away, I only run one race in the BBYRA. You know, my kids used to think I was a slacker and it was a light air race because I grew up in Long Island Sound as a little kid. And then, of course, 
became part of the Rhode Island mafia for most of my career. Right. And uh, where it's a lot of wind. So I could, I could sail on either extreme. I couldn't sail in the middle wind at all. You know, I'll leave that to other people. That's Dave Dellenbaugh's stuff. We got a couple more minutes. You guys are great. You interact great. Obviously, you work together. This is a, it's a pretty good act. We can Broadway <laughs> is open. There's some dark theater, so we can we can arrange that if you'd like. But just in a, in a quick minute, you know what what do you think happens in the future for Barnegat Bay? What what's what's new? What's going to happen? Well, I, I can tell you. I, I did interviews with lots of people. And I've been around, and you know, it, it kind of scares me that I was racing in the bay 60 years ago because I wasn't even born yet. But and I'm just that's joking. But you know, but for 60 years I I was there. Yeah. 50 years from now, I the classes might be a little different, but there's going to be junior sailing going on. There's going to be people out there on the weekends. I think the ACATs are around in some form, and I'm sure the ESCAL, uh, maybe there's carbon fiber or some new developments along the way, but they'll be racing and it'll be a lot of great sailing. It, it'll continue on. Mm-hmm. And how long will an ACAT last, Roy, do you think? If well, you keep ACATs, it up well. The current ACATs now yeah. uh, will last at least 50 years, 50 years because yeah. of the construction we don't have iron drifts in the centerboard trunk. Right. You know, they were all riveted together with copper rivets. Yeah. And the, uh, no, they were, they were made very well by very good boat builders. Mm-hmm. And so, they're not you got to with... maintain them. Yeah. Yeah. No, obviously you have to maintain them, which is might be the downfall of the boats because it's a little right. pricey. Yeah. But when I was, when I bought Spy in, in 78, I did all the work myself. I knew nothing about working on wooden boats. And I learned a lot from the Beatons. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll be taking a trip, a field trip down to the Beatons in a couple of weeks. And yeah. uh, they didn't want to talk to me while they were pulling boats out of the water, but I will go down there and uh, get a look. Good um, luck talking to Tommy Beaton. Yeah, I know. I understand. I understand. <laughs> I once borrowed a buck duck boat from Tommy Beaton. So I remember. No, but you need, you need when you go down there to talk to Paul Smith. Paul Smith. Okay. Good, mm-hmm. good dress. Can I can I do a screen share? I want to show you the boat that I sail around in Apples these days. Go ahead. You got so, 30 uh, seconds. An affectionate like you of my uh it says host disabled participant screen sharing. I hit okay. Is there something I can do to screen share? We may run out of time. No, okay. Send us send us a send us a pic. Okay. But thanks so much, guys. You're, You're great. Welcome. There you have it, live podcast at its best with two men of the Bay. Thanks to Gary and Roy for their participation. And I wanted to bring the listeners up to date on what Conversations with Classic Boats is doing next. First, I want to thank all of you subscribers. We're in our third season, and you have put us in the elite level of podcasts in the top one-tenth of one percent of podcast communities. So keep it up. Tell your friends. Get them to subscribe. And thank you to the online podcast reviewers who are giving us high marks for the podcast that talks to boats. Our philosophy was to be included with partners in the major sailing grounds of North America. Thanks to Winchak and Ben Cesar. Thanks to Team One and Martha Parker. Thanks to the Spinchy family. Molly Winans, Chris Charbonneau. 
And to all those community sailing partners, Diana Brown at Nantucket Community Sailing, Brad and Kim at Sail Newport, Spike and John at Ness, you're increasing our community sailing footprint, and that continues to be a priority. And thanks to Craig Lewick of Scuttlebutt, the big kahuna, the ocean liner of sailing sites, for including us in your productions. The mantra, since we have filled out distribution in the Northeast with these great groups and community sailing organizations, is to take conversations to all the people. We aim to do that in the Pacific Northwest and California very soon. And subscribers and sponsors, if you're listening, hear what we're up to now. We can bring you customized podcasts to your market. We create a customized podcast and run it for free. Right. Free. We're working with our media platforms to bring this podcast vehicle to you, the sponsor. In the meantime, reach us at TCD for sale. That's TCD, numeral four, S-A-I-L, two, at gmail.com. And let's talk. And we'll be back before the holidays with part two of ACATS, ESCAOs, Sneak Boxes, and Duck Boats, featuring on the ground, prying into local boatyards, and talking to people on the ground. We'll feature the smaller scale of bay boats, sneak boxes, and duck boats, names that resonate with the many families who own these wooden classics. In the meantime, subscribe if you have not, wherever you get your podcast, and tell a friend to. See the online review section, rate and review, and put in your own reviews. The podcast review sites have discovered the uniqueness of conversations with classic boats. Give us that review. Five stars, please. And enjoy your holidays wherever you are. Lots of time to listen to the podcast that talks to boats. Conversations with classic boats. This episode was written by Tom Darling and produced by Griff Bengraff. This is Tom Darling. Wishing you happy holidays and fair sailing. We'll roll the old chariot along. We'll roll the old chariot along. And we'll all hang on behind. And a drop of Nelson's blood wouldn't do us any harm. A drop of Nelson's blood wouldn't do us any harm. A drop of Nelson's blood wouldn't do us any harm. And we'll all hang on behind.